what? I actually think that if you think rigorously upfront about what would make someone say an enthusiastic yes, what would make this a no brainer? If it's a product, what do I have to include in the product? What, how can I stack the deck so that people feel like, oh my gosh, of course, of course I want to buy this. Of course I want to work with you. Of course I'll hop on a call. Hey friend, it's David Dubinsky here in New York City. So excited for this podcast episode with Wes Kao. My podcast would likely have not have started without Wes's direct and indirect support. Uh, she was um, special projects lead working directly with Seth Godin and the executive director of the founding team of the Ulta MBA. I created this podcast through the Podcasting Fellowship, also known as the Podcasting Workshop, uh, which was a workshop underneath Seth's akimbo workshops that I'm just really grateful for all the opportunities uh, to meet people, to do some work, develop some skills, and create this podcast. Wes has 15 years of experience in marketing and strategy. For the last two and a half years and more, she's had her own independent marketing and strategy company where she's been working with marquee clients uh, such as Scott Galloway, Morning Brew, Poopery, just to name a few. In this episode, you'll learn about how to future-proof a career in marketing, um, specifically around thinking about marketing yourself as a product um, and different ways that you can think about how you stack into the marketplace and some opportunities for you, and also how this translates into products as well. Wes has worked on many different product launches. Um, you also learn about some key topics like having spiky points of view, thinking about incentives for conversations with teams, partners, clients, etc. Um, just an all-around incredible conversation. As always, this episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Wes. Well, welcome, Wes. Thanks for uh, coming on to the show. Great to be here. Uh, before we get officially started, I do want to say thank you. In many ways, the podcast would not have started without uh, your work with creating the Alt MBA, and which then led to the Kimbo workshops and things of that nature. So, wanted to first say thank you. Thanks. That that really means a lot. And um, the Alt MBA has brought so many good people into my life, including people like you. So, very glad that it's connected so many of us. Amazing. Um, and I've heard on a and correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard I think on an, another podcast you talk about this idea of people need to expand their box. Um, and and dream a little bit bigger, take chances, make art. Um, would just be curious to hear a little bit about how you think about, you know, just how taking a little bit more risk or a little bit more instances of leadership and thinking a little bit bigger um, as it relates to some of the work you've been doing recently. Yeah, definitely. I think all of us should draw a bigger box for ourselves. It feels really good and comfortable to fill a box. So we draw a box that we can comfortably fill. And I think a lot of times when we do that, we limit ourselves from exploring paths that are a bit serendipitous that we didn't necessarily expect. So I think a lot of your career trajectory can be planned and you, you should be intentional about it, but also being opportunistic at the right times. And um, if, so, if something lights you up and, and is interesting for you, lean into that lean into that curiosity. And you're able to, uh, one, one concept of mine that I think about is this idea of how we're kind of one email away from serendipity, luck, a new friend, collaborator, et cetera. Are you able to maybe speak to about an email that has maybe changed your path a little bit? Definitely. There are so many examples of emails like this. I think the biggest takeaway from 
those emails, the ones that worked and led to a connection versus the ones that didn't, is thinking up front about how I can add value. I think so many of us have sent out cold emails as outreach, and we've also gotten a ton of them, but thinking ahead about how can I make it worth this person's time? How can I show that hopping on a call or doing a meeting or interacting is going to be, is going to be worthwhile? So I think this is so important to keep in mind because with, with any kind of outreach, there's not a lot of trust yet, right? Like you send out a cold email, you're asking for 30 minutes of someone's time to pick their brain or whatever. I know that phrase is no longer used. So, um, but you know, asking for, Hey, let's connect. And when you receive something like that, you're a little skeptical. Who is this person? What do they want? Right? Like what ulterior motives do they have? Is this going to be a waste of my time? Um, and we've all been burned before where it was a waste of time. So my biggest lesson in, in outreach emails, um, whether they be emails or, you know, Twitter DMs, Instagram DMs that led to um, good friendships with people that I regularly talk to now that never would have happened is making sure that you show value upfront. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so then you're saying that it's turned into friendships too. It starts off with even, uh, you know, sometimes people think about f- friends is different than collaborators, but if you show up with value, then I think you're saying that also like, start work together, you get along well, and then, you know, maybe you work together or not, but you become friends from a level of trust and a level of respect and a level of uh, mutual appreciation for how you both show up in the world. Yeah. I think regardless of whether you're making a new friend or looking for a collaborator, a client, a customer, a partner, really thinking about, do I naturally hit it off with this person? I think that is so underrated. Just thinking about, do we have good friend chemistry? There are some people, I don't know if you've experienced this, where for every one sentence that you say, you have to use another three sentences to explain because they took it the wrong way, they misunderstood you, and you're just constantly misunderstanding each other. And it just takes an enormous amount of energy to continue those friendships, those client partnerships, projects, et cetera. So I'm really big on whether there's good natural chemistry, whether it's for a friendship or a potential client, it should feel easy. The work itself, the, the problems that we're solving, the projects that we're doing might be hard, which is why the relationships should feel easy. If, you, if the relationship itself feels hard too, it's kind of like you're dead in the water. Like the work is hard, the relationship is hard, talking to you is hard. Like where is this going to go? Um, and what joy does this bring anyone along the way? So I'm, I, I used to, you know, think about, you know, we, oh, we might not really get along. What if, what if I tried a little harder or, you know, kind of tried to make it work? And, and my current philosophy is if I have an initial call with a client and the project and the problem they're solving seems really interesting, but we don't have great chemistry um, and, and, and talking, I'm not excited to talk to them. They're not really that excited to talk to me. I, I just part ways there. You know, there's just, there's so many great people that you could work with. They could find another, you know, marketer, another product launch person and, and same with me. So I really think just tapping into that, that intuition and listening to, you know, do I feel excited to hop on a call with this person? Do I feel excited to work on these things? Really getting back to listening to what your visceral initial reaction is telling you. Um, so using a little bit of rigorous thinking related to relationships. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that I know uh, that I wanted to talk to you about, or actually many things, but was this idea around future-proofing a marketing career. 
maybe being like a full stack marketer as somebody that um, has their own business. Uh, can you maybe talk a little bit about certain either skills, yeah, skills or frameworks or things that are kind of important to future proof your marketing career to the, to the marketer that's out there that's just getting started, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this advice applies to marketers just getting started to mid-level marketers, senior marketers. The world around us is changing so fast. There are new technologies that didn't exist five years ago that have audiences of millions of people um, that continuing to upskill and sharpen your skill set is so important. I talk a lot about end-to-end marketing, that if you are only swimming in your own lane, that's not going to work anymore. If you need a huge team to be able to launch or do anything, that also doesn't work anymore. So let's imagine if there are two marketers who both have an idea that they want to launch a video series. So they want to pitch this idea to their boss to get approval to do this. Marketer one has this idea, needs to hire a videographer, a sound person, an editor, someone, a copywriter to write the script before they can do anything. Okay, that's marketer one. Marketer two writes their own script, films on their iPhone, edits in an iMovie, uses Keynote to create a thumbnail for the video, so there's a title slide, and then shows this to the leadership team and says, I think we should do one, two minute videos to teach what our company can help clients with. So marketer two is the marketer that's going to win in the future. And in order to be end to end, what does that incorporate? Well, it means thinking about strategy. It means being able to execute on those strategies with um, limited outside support or outside help to get going, at least from V0 to V1. And it means that you're secretly, even if you're called a marketer, you secretly are good at other things. You're good at copywriting. So you can write content. You can express the ideas that you have. You are a product person. So you can think about the customer, what they need and how the experience should be. You are thinking like a performance uh, conversion optimization expert, where you're thinking about how do we drive results? How do we decrease friction? So you're really thinking more holistically. I like using the example of an MMA fighter. An MMA fighter doesn't just do American boxing. They would get destroyed in the ring, right? So they know Brazilian jiu-jitsu. They know Thai boxing. They also know American boxing. They know Krav Maga, they know Taekwondo. So they're cross-trained, which means that whatever setting they're in, they can draw from a wider, broader, deeper set of tools. And investing in sharpening your skill set, in, in, in making your toolkit better, is the way that when you are dropped in an uncertain situation, when there's ambiguity, that you can forge a path forward. And do you, uh, did, did you believe that you... When you started your own business and your own practice, did you feel like you're an end-to-end marketer then? Yeah, I went out on my own because I was an end-to-end marketer. So I think that starting as early as possible, diversifying your skill set, not thinking that marketing is just this one thing and I only work on Facebook ads. That's really not enough. You have to zoom out and think about the business model and the product strategy and pricing and copy, right? So because I've been thinking about all those things and working on projects in-house that required those skill sets, by the time I was ready to go on my own, I had that 
ability to tap into those things. Um, and I think that's, that's so important because the more that you can launch quickly and iterate, the more you're able to understand what the market wants, what people are resonating with. There's a certain aspect of building something new and all of us are doing new things all the time where we don't have historical data points. If you're launching a new product or a new course or you know, a new program, you don't know if people will like it. These people have never bought from you before or they've never bought something on this price point before. So being able to put something out quickly and think rigorously before you even put it out really helps you stay nimble so that you minimize your losses. You minimize rejection. I think a lot of us think that rejection is the name of the game, especially when you're on your own, that you just expect to get rejected a lot. But I actually think that if you think rigorously upfront about what would make someone say an enthusiastic yes, what would make this a no brainer? If it's a product, what do I have to include in the product? What, how can I stack the deck so that people feel like, oh my gosh, of course, of course I want to buy this. Of course I want to work with you. Of course I'll hop on a call, right? There's so many things that we can do to make, to sweeten the deal and help someone see the value in engaging with us. And I think that when you, when you spend that time up front, you really reduce the likelihood that you get rejected when you finally make the ask or when you finally launch. Uh, and I, I think this ties a little bit to, we've talked about it a little bit before, but around like incentives. And I, I th it's also, I think around like communication of, of empathy to think about what is the other person thinking about? How can I stack the communication deck, so to speak, so that it is become a no brainer. So I do kind of want, I do want to go back to incentives, but I'm also curious about this idea of, so, you know, thinking, thinking bigger. And if we try to think about the startup of me or the startup of you or the startup of a friend and maybe some of the work that you've done with either Seth Godin or, or Scott Galloway and maybe some of your other clients, just really curious as to how you could think about from a strategy and an execution perspective of like, what are, what are somebody's options that has certain skills or certain capabilities, certain assets, uh, potential? Do you have a, how do you think about evaluating those and then laying out a plan for people to execute thinking of like the startup of a person? Mm -hmm. I think that whether you're marketing a product or yourself as a person, there's so many similarities with, with the latter where you're marketing a person yourself, that you are the product, you are what people are buying and wanting to engage with. So the process that I have is very similar for both of those situations. So I have a list of questions that I run through as a framework. We can paste it in the show notes. Um, so I'll run through those. First is starting with what's scarce. This is where product and marketing are very much intertwined. We're not waiting until you spent six months building a thing to then think about who wants this and, and is there a market for it? Really thinking about that from day one or day negative 30, if you will, pre, right? Like really early on, as early as you can, thinking about what's scarce. What's scarce is what's valuable. So if you are doing something and offering something that everyone else can offer in the same way, you don't really stand out. So thinking about what's scarce really helps you narrow down the entire universe of things you could possibly do because not everything is scarce. So that's one. Um, the second is what's your spiky point of view? There's so much noise out there because everyone can publish. So everyone is right. Whether it's Twitter or email newsletters or anything, videos, everyone is producing so much content. Um, one of my clients put out a job description 
for a junior web developer. And within two days, they had 400 applicants with roughly the same years of experience, the same major, the same skill set, and the same background. So it's, it's just insane, right? How, how are you going to stand out among a sea of people who look very similar? So this is where having a spiky point of view comes in because a spiky point of view is something that you believe strongly in, backed by evidence that other people could disagree with. It's your process or your approach or your rationale. It's your assertion about how the world works or how your field works. Let's say you believe that marketers should be more data-driven and be lean really hard into performance marketing. Another marketer could believe that brand marketing is underrated and it's now a little bit of a lost art because there's so many digital tools that allow you to measure and they might believe that you shouldn't really measure as much as, as people think. So there are these unconventional, semi-controversial beliefs that you might have that show how you see the world. I think so many of us are trained to think that unless I have 100% of the answers, I shouldn't raise my hand, I shouldn't speak up, I need to wait until I have all my ducks in a row to say something. But sharing your point of view, sharing your perspective and your rationale is really one of the most valuable things that you can, you can do, that you can do in-house or with a client. And when your point of view is a spiky point of view, you're teaching something that people don't already know. That's huge. It's not just the same, same skills, background experience, right? Like something super generic. It's something that people could disagree with. It's your thesis. And when you teach something that people don't already know, their ears perk up, they want to hear more, they're curious how you would back that up, how you came to that conclusion. So think about what's a spiky point of view that I have that other, other marketers, other creators, other musicians, other solopreneurs might disagree with. I think a great example of that is, is the idea that, you know, everyone should try to grow their companies, right? And then I think it's Paul Jarvis, with the company of one comes along and says, company of one, this is something to be proud of, right? You can be a company of one and that's just as big as you want to be. And there's so many benefits to that. So that's a spiky point of view because everyone is going this way and he's saying, let's go this way. And because of that, he automatically stands up. So having a spiky point of view is super important. Third one, thinking about the difference between your actual value and your perceived value. If there's a big gap, that's, that's a gap that you want to fill because you might add a lot of value. And this is a huge point of frustration for a lot of solopreneurs, creators, you know how good your work is. And then you see the press being obsessed with so-and-so media darling. And you're like, okay, their, their work isn't even that interesting. Like everyone in the industry knows that their work isn't that interesting. Why are they getting all this attention on, you know, getting on the Forbes 30 under 30 list and, and all these things that we know we shouldn't care about, but secretly do. So in situations like that, where you bring a lot of value, but the world doesn't necessarily see it, that's a problem with perceived value. So you really want to think about what is my perceived value? And do I feel like that matches my actual value? In what ways is there a gap and how can I fill that gap? So that's three. Four is thinking about what bucket are people putting you in? All of us constantly get put into different buckets. It's really hard once someone's put you in a bucket to dislodge that anger. All of us have interviewed at, you know, at different companies and um, HR always seems to think if you most immediately did content marketing, you couldn't possibly do product marketing. 
you couldn't possibly do digital marketing, right? They're not even, there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of transferable skills, but when you get anchored in a certain area, it's really hard to dislodge that. So what bucket are you being put in that you don't really want to be put in? And how can you anchor in a higher value bucket? One that's more strategic, one that shows that you're a thought leader and a thought partner for the people that you work with and comes with the halo effect and associations that you actually want to have. Another is turning bugs into features. So that's fifth. When you look at your own personality, your skill sets, your experience, where you are, we tend to see the negative in ourselves. And we lament that, oh, I wish I had this experience. If only I had done that, then I could list out on my you know, portfolio or website and, and people would love to work with me. So we come up with all these excuses of why we're inadequate in certain ways. Um, and not just background and experience wise, but also personality. We kick ourselves for saying, I wish I were a little bit more extroverted because then doing this or that would be easier. Or I wish I were more analytical or more technical. And turning bugs into features means that whatever was a disadvantage, a bug, something that seems bad or a downside or liability, we reframe that as a positive thing. So let's say that your product is, you know, people complain that it's too simple. There might be customers who are looking for something that's easy to use, intuitive, lightweight, and simple. So instead of just trying to change everything about yourself to make it, to make, you know, your product more complex, what if you found people who were looking for something simple? And what if you doubled down on simplicity instead of trying to hide it and gloss over it and were loud and proud about offering a product that was really simple? And it works the other way. So let's say that you, the thing that you offer is, is technical, it's, it's complex, it's heavy duty. There are people that are looking for the kitchen sink in an enterprise solution that does everything in one place. So instead of immediately going to a place where you want to gloss over something, what if you thought, okay, if we actually doubled down on it, turned it up, multiplied it by 2x on this one trait, how can we make this a selling point? If you naturally like working with certain types of people, if you naturally like writing instead of audio or video, how can you make that a thing? How can you lean into that instead of forcing yourself and trying to get better at things that, that don't bring you any joy and are naturally hard for you? So think about turning bugs into features, whether it's a product that you're working on or the product is yourself. Instead of glossing over certain things that you don't like about yourself, think about how can I turn that up and make it a selling point? And you maybe speak to like an example of how you've been able to work through some of those, uh, those questions and frameworks for, for uh, a client. Yeah. I'll anonymize the client. Um, but one example is a course. So I work on intimate yet scalable digital courses that are premium that aren't just on demand courses that are 50 bucks. So these are thousand dollar courses that, are much more personal, that have a lot more community, that have an interactive component. So when we were first starting out with one of them, we weren't sure what the market demand was going to be. And it turned out that it was a pretty intimate group of people. So instead of pretending to be bigger than we were, instead of racking our brains to just fill seats with whoever, we leaned into the fact that this was a curated group. We talked about the benefits of having a smaller group where you could really get to know people, where you were getting more personalized attention. We leaned into that curated aspect. So 
what someone else might see as a bug that, oh, well, you know, when you say there are 500 students, I don't know if that's good or bad. When you just say a number, people don't know how to contextualize it. Like mm-hmm. if you were aiming for 5,000 or 50,000, yes, you really missed the mark and, <laughs> and you're way below, right? But I don't know if you were aiming for 100, that you had planned the, the size of the room was 100 and you had 500 people sign up and it's standing room only. People are spilling out into the hallways, trying to bang on the door, trying to get in. So whatever it is that, that is the situation that you're in, let's say 500 students, turn it into a good thing. It's never a bad thing. Whatever you're working with, turn it into a good thing. Make it feel intentional. I think that that's such an important part of marketing that's, that the best marketers do is they make something feel intentional. And that's something that all of us can do because our brains naturally, again, go to a negative place of what, how we wish it was more, et cetera, et cetera, how we should have done certain things differently. But really meeting yourself and your product where you're at and changing the narrative around it helps yourself stay motivated and energized, but it also helps your customer, your student, your audience have a better experience. If, if someone was an early adopter and they were one of the 500 students and they felt like they were dumb, that they were stupid for, for having decided to give you their money and, and done this, that's, that's not going to make the experience better. But if they feel like this was a smart decision, that they were glad that they did it and they would do it again, that makes the entire experience better for them and for everyone. Yeah. So it comes back to just a level of, of gratitude. Wow. 500 people showed up. What a gift. It could have been zero. Yeah, exactly. So another thing we talked about, and I mentioned a little bit earlier, was just this idea around like incentives. Uh, can you maybe speak to that a little bit as to how people could better incentivize the people that they work for and with to uh, kind of build up their portfolio career? Mm-hmm. We all care about what's good for us that the incentive to want to do something that's good for us is something we all think about. But when we pitch other people or we make requests of other people, we're still thinking of us. We're not thinking of them, but we need them to say yes. So this is a a, a huge opportunity to shift the spotlight from yourself to the other person and think about what would make this worthwhile for this person. Given what I'm asking, how does it benefit them? For example, if you want to try a new, um, a new skill, so you want to learn, you want to learn digital marketing, you're not currently doing it at work and you want to convince your boss to, to let you do a project that uses these skills. If you just go to your boss and say, I want to do this. This is good for my career. This is good for where I see myself in five years. This is good for my personal development and my personal interests. Um, this is something that I've been wanting to learn for a while. I want to do this your boss doesn't really have much incentive to approve something on work time using the company's money to let you learn something that feels like a hobby that, that you just personally want to do. Like, that's great. I support you. Do that on your own time, right? So how do we align incentives here? Think about what would make your boss say yes. What would make this good for your boss and for the company? Maybe your boss has a KPI that they're being judged on and you learning digital marketing is going to help drive leads for the company, or it's going to help convert your existing leads, or it's going to take a certain portion of work off your boss's plate. Maybe, maybe right now they handle digital marketing, 
because they're, they don't, you know, your company doesn't have anyone else to do it and you don't know how to do it. So your, your boss can't assign you any of that work. But if you say, I can take work off of your plate, if I learn some of this, I've actually already started learning in my own time. Here's what I can do. I would like to do this project that would be good for our company because it's going to help us drive and convert leads. And I thought about doing this in a way that's pretty small, that's pretty low stakes, so that if it goes wrong, here's the worst thing that can happen. It's not bad and I'll clean up the mess. So if you're cool with it, I'd like to start by downloading this or that tool and uploading our leads through it. And then I'll update you from there. When you say it like that, you're aligning incentives because you are putting yourself in your boss's shoes, making their life easier, making it easier if their boss ever questions them on why they let you go off in this, you know, on this wild goose chase. So, so everything is really defensible. So thinking about aligning incentives with your boss, with your coworkers, with your direct reports even, right? It's not just something about managing up. It's also someone who reports to you and technically has to do what you say. I mean, no one really has to do what you say and they can make your life miserable by stonewalling and, and making a fuss. So even if you're assigning work to someone and it has to get done, think about what would make this feel more, more worthwhile for that person. What have they said that they wanted to learn or do in their career where I can position this so that this is a part of that, that, you know, this might not be the most glamorous thing. Data cleaning is a great example. I had a direct report who wanted to get into more analytical marketing, more performance marketing, and I needed a data set cleaned before we could run a certain experiment. So I asked him to do it, but instead of just dumping it on his desk and saying, do this, do it well, I positioned it as this is an important part of looking at analytics is making sure that data is clean. Here's how you do it. Here are all the different nuances you should think about. And here's a real data set that you can look at and practice with as you build the skill set. You could do this in a course or reading on your own or watching YouTube videos, but you don't have a real data set. So you're actually using real data from the company, from real people that you get to play with as you learn how to clean the data. So framing in this way was aligning incentives with him so that he could see why this was important why it actually helped him get to where he wants to go, even outside the company, just career-wise, right? So really taking that extra step, it took an extra 30 seconds for me to frame it that way. And it made it so much better of an experience for me and for him. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, and is there anything else that you think that we missed that, you know, as, you know, with the work that you did with co-creating the Alt-MBA and saw a lot of people overcome fear and, you know, what would you kind of say to the person that's, you know, in this, in this time period right now, that's kind of thinking about that idea, thinking about taking a leap, but isn't really sure what to, what to do. One of my favorite quotes that's on my refrigerator is grow, we're planted, bloom, we're planted. And this is the idea that no matter where you are, you can start wherever you're at and bloom and grow from there. Instead of waiting for the perfect conditions, think about what's something small that I can do now that works with what I naturally like doing and would help me get a little bit closer to my goal. I think one thing that, that feels scary is that when you're doing something new, you never really know how it's going to work. I work with a lot of, a lot of organizations that are launching digital courses for the first time, and they want to know how to guarantee demand. How do we forecast and guarantee that this is the right number of students that are going to come to our course? 
And there are different ways that you can estimate and get closer to that number. But if you need 100% certainty before you do it, that's just not going to happen. You just do something else. Keep doing what you're doing then because when you're launching something new and it's for the first time, you there's really no way of knowing if it's going to work or not. But you can think about how can I think rigorously about this so that I stack the deck in my favor, that I have tailwinds, that we're being smart about the elasticity that we're building into something, right? If you sign up for a project where you need hundreds of thousands of people before it's deemed successful, that's going to be really hard than if you design something that would work with 20 people or 200, that that experience is going to be worthwhile for someone in a group of 20 or in a group of 200. So, so you see there, there's elasticity built in already. That person is still working with the resources that they have right now where, where they are. So it's just a matter of thinking strategically about how do I use my assets and resources and levers in a way where um, I'm able to start now and get closer to where I want to go and build in some of that flexibility so that as I get more data points, as more information comes in about what's working and what's not, I can stay flexible, but I'm still making progress because that progress, that momentum is very encouraging. Amazing. Very encouraging. What, what a perfect way to, to finish up here. So Wes, please let listeners know how they can um, follow up and learn a little bit more about what you're up to and how they can support. I tweet at at Wes underscore KO. I also write a weekly newsletter where I share a lot of the ideas that we've talked about here. So those would be two great ways to keep in touch. Amazing. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, David. Hey, friend. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Wanted to also let you know about my monthly newsletter called One Email Away, where I fundamentally believe that we are all one email away from new opportunities. And if there's a way that I could potentially help you to connect with other people, I would love to do that. So one email away, um, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. You can also see the one email away section, but just want to take this moment to say thank you for, for listening to this episode. Really excited for us to build and grow our portfolio careers together.